Good morning again. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts of the Apostles. I will be reading Acts chapter 7, verse 54 through chapter 8, verse 1. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. and They ground their teeth at Him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. Blessed and sober, is the reading of God's holy word to his saints. Father, help, help me be faithful to this passage. And I beg, Father, that you work by your Holy Spirit in our midst from the youngest to the oldest. To the glory of Jesus, to the, the joy that Stephen experienced be happening by your Spirit in us. Amen. When I first, and I just, what I'm going to tell you was so vivid to me. And I even felt weird as a Christian because of it. I'm thinking, that doesn't seem right. And that is this. When I first became a dad, I was struck with an uncomfortable fear. It came in the context of the joy of my baby girl, picturing her growing, then saying for the first time, Daddy, it was the anticipation of me coming home to work and my little two or three-year-old girl in a pretty dress would greet me and hug me at the door. It was the anticipation of showing her all the little joys of life and family and friends and playing ball and reading books and being, more than anything, her protector. And in the context of that, the realization 
hit me. Yeah, she'll turn one and then three and then five years old and she will find out that none of us get out of here alive. So, between the two of us, there'll come that moment she and I together will know Lindsay, you are dying. It's only a matter of time for you and for me and for all of us. Life is filled with, with pleasures and it's filled with joy and it's filled with struggles and pain and grief and then we die. There's part of me as a believer in Jesus, this new life, my life changed. You who became dads, you know this. And it was like, I, I want to avoid reality. Don't want her to know it. That's how I felt it, period of time in my life. But here is the reality, and that is death is the great enemy of the human race. It is appointed for every human being to die once. And then comes the holy, perfect judgment of God for each one of us. Which is not a big deal, really, if you have never sinned towards this holy God. But Romans 3.23 is absolutely clear, not just written in text, but it's written in the heart of every one of us. We all know it's true. We have all sinned and transgressed God Himself and belittled His glory. And we're all dying. And Christianity at its core is about death. It is about living and worshiping and standing for the truth of the Gospel on our way to death. It's about the reality that to live is to live for Christ. And to die, finally, sometime, sooner or later, for the Christian, it is gain. It's gain precisely because we belong to Jesus. And Jesus destroyed the power of death. And He turned death into the servant of His church. And in our passage this morning, Stephen is a model. He's a model for how God gives our Father gives. Our ascended Lord Jesus gives special grace in dying to those who belong to Him. Whether we die of an illness or in old age, or in a brutal martyr's death on a mission field for the glory of Jesus. 
our Savior has grace to give at this time to his people. Stephen is the first recorded martyr in the history of the church. And the testimony, as we'll see here, of Stephen and of so many martyrs throughout the centuries is that God gave to them a special grace in their dying. For instance, a hundred years before the Great Reformation, those of you who know some church history, there was a man named John Huss in the 1300s and into the 1400s who was a Roman Catholic priest and he challenged some doctrines and practices of the church and it got him tied to a stake by the religious hierarchy. And then they light fire underneath him and he slowly burned alive. And he died much like Stephen did, not cursing his persecutors, but singing praises to God as the flames melted his flesh off his bones. And this is the story of so many deaths for Jesus. We call them martyrs. The reason we do is because this word in English now, martyr, is the transliteration of the Greek New Testament word for witness. By their lives and by their deaths, they have borne witness to the goodness and the beauty of Jesus Christ for all eternity. Now, in this context, remember from last week, Stephen just preached before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high court, and he ended with these words, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. You who received the law as from angels, and did not keep it. And then Luke goes on with our passage. Now, when they heard these things from Stephen, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him. And Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then he said in front of them, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Okay. 
It was 12 months or less when a man named Jesus stood before these people and said, you will see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And so Stephen just said what Jesus in His moments before death what he saw. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. The world it means the cultures throughout the world that we live in, the world, its systems, hated Jesus. And they will hate those who love Jesus. Not only is that just the reality, that is a promise that Jesus made to His disciples. Satan and demonic forces and unregenerate human beings are enemies of God. And therefore, those who speak out boldly, clearly, about the truth of God, about the truth of who Jesus is, the Deliverer from God's wrath. To speak out about sin and about salvation, which is only, only found in and through Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given among us human beings whereby we must be saved if we're going to be saved. Everyone who speaks clearly in their families, in their workplace, in their culture, will suffer. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live with Jesus and according to Jesus, who, who, who desire to live a godly life, in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. Our loving Father, our wonderful Lord Jesus, in God's sovereign providence, allows this. He does not miraculously protect and deliver all the time His servants who dare to confront sin and culture and evil and untruths. Here in our passage, he allowed this most likely fairly young man with extraordinary speaking gifts, he allowed him to be cut down in the prime of his life and his ministry. These religious leaders, it says, 
ground their teeth. They were so angry. They were livid. They were enraged. They covered their ears in order not to hear any more of the blasphemy coming from Stephen's mouth. And Luke goes on. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. That means the mob all picked up rocks and started hurling fastballs at him. And the witnesses to this stoning laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And in case anyone in here doesn't know, that is the man whom we refer to as the Apostle Paul. And as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Euphemism for died. And Saul approved of his execution. So, here's the question. Was Stephen a radical? Or was he just a Christian who was filled with the Holy Spirit, who believed the gospel, and thus spoke it clearly without shame? The answer is because he was empowered with the Holy Spirit according to this text. He confronted error and he proclaimed truth. He was just a lover of Jesus who was standing for the truth of the gospel on his way to death. Whether his death was 40 years in the future or that day, that's who he was. That's who Ten thousands of fellow brothers and sisters who were martyred for Christ's sake were. When we Christians wake up by the smelling salt of the Holy Spirit and we live in this world as worshipers, as preachers of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ who boldly speak out against sin, when we do that, then what happens is we move ourselves into the line of enemy fire. For Stephen, it was speaking out this truth. Since God's Messiah has come, the temple is obsolete. 
He spoke it and he spoke it clearly and he spoke it boldly and then he spoke directly to the Jewish leadership saying, you are in fact against God. You don't keep His law. In fact, you murdered God's Messiah. And it put Him in the line of fire. For us in our culture today, enemy fire will come if we're clear that there's such a thing as truth. Objective truth. That the Bible is true. That there is a holy God who will judge. That there is an eternal hell. That, that there is salvation and it is found in Jesus only. Be clear with that and live according to that. And you will draw enemy fire. Enemy fire will come if we go on to speak against God-belittling sinful lifestyles according to Scripture. Like having heterosexual sex outside of marriage. Or like having any homosexual sex in any context. Or speaking against adultery. Or to speak against the evil in our nation called abortion. Or the craziness of transgenderism in our day. Or to proclaim the biblical, the commonsensical, the scientific reality that there are only two sexes. Male and female. Stand for these truths and you will be persecuted. Why risk it, though? Why would Stephen risk it? Are you stupid? Don't you know they have the power to kill you? Why did he risk it? And why should we risk it? I didn't say the doing of it. But the answer to that question, biblically, is simple. Because it is far, far, far better to die with Stephen as hundreds of rocks are crushing our, our skulls. And then to be received by the resurrected, ascended Lord Jesus into glory. Far better that than to live a long, peaceful, comfortable life. And then in old age, to have your family and loved ones and grandchildren all gathered around as you slip off into eternity, only to hear the words... Depart from me. I never knew you. That's why it was worth it. Stephen doesn't regret it to this day.
But now, I kind of want to push what we see here. Because this is the only time in the book of Acts where we have a recorded... Well, okay. Death, other than it just says, then James was put to death. Here it gives you the picture of what happened to Stephen. But that is this. We should be encouraged. As Jesus supported Stephen on his way in the process of dying, that his grace for all of us who love him will be sufficient for us. Whether you're being killed on a mission field as a martyr or whether in old age you lie on a hospice bed or are dying of cancer too early, there's grace. Christian. Look at verse 55. Notice first here the Holy Trinity. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. There's the third person of the Trinity. He gazed into heaven. This was a doing of Jesus by grace for him. Gave him a vision. He gazed into heaven and saw two things. He saw the glory of God. Yes, I'm taking that to mean he saw God the Father's glory. Because there's a conjunction here. And he saw something else. And he saw Jesus. That's the second person of the Holy Trinity who became a human being in His incarnation and remains such as the resurrected man. And He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, which is amazing because we know our Bibles and, and, and from Psalm 110, which comes through the the New Testament on numerous occasions. We know the wording is He sat down at the right hand of God. He's on the throne. He's at the seat of all power and authority. The sitting. But here, and Luke knows what he's doing because he's recording it the way Paul told him what Stephen said. Here, Jesus is not sitting. He's standing. He's standing as a sign of welcoming Stephen home as a faithful witness. Now think about this. Luke is just like us right now in this room. When Luke is penning this years later, he is also like us, still on this side of physical death. And he's getting older and older and approaching death. It's closer than the day before and the decade before. I have to think as a, that, that Luke, as a believer, must have been encouraged by recording this historical event as we ought to be.
And so, so what I want to do right now then is let's, let's, let's contemplate, let's think about the biblical doctrine of Christian death. First, death is an enemy. Death is not in and of itself some romantic thing. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25 to 26. Paul writes it this way. For Jesus must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed which will happen at the resurrection in the future. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. We were not created to die. Death is a consequence of our sin in the human race. That's why it's here. It's judgment. It is an enemy to us. Now, having said that, a central doctrine of the cross, a central doctrine of Christianity is in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 54 to 57, where we hear Paul exclaim, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Why? Because the sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives to us Christians the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul's doing there and in 1 Corinthians, ultimately what he means here is that the victory over death is completed as the complete victory, not when Stephen departed his physical body to be with Jesus. Or when we will do that. But it is finally defeated in the future when Jesus comes back and the resurrection of the church. But, as our passage in Acts shows, with Stephen, even this departing of this mortal life, these physical bodies that are dying and wasting away, even that transition is a glorious thing for Jesus' disciples. Or as Paul put it, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, which is better personally. By defeating death 
and freeing us from guilt, judicial guilt, before God. He's justified us. By doing that, Jesus has made our physical deaths a servant. A servant to usher us in to His presence, even as we still await the resurrection one day. Let me give you a few texts. In Romans chapter 8, we try to read slowly, and I know it's very familiar, but don't, you don't want to just read right over the familiarity of it. Paul writes, I'll start in verse 35, Christian, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? How about tribulation? No. How about distress? You ever have distress in your life? Yes, you do. Shall it separate you from the love of Christ? No. How about persecution? How about famine? You don't have enough to eat? How about nakedness? You can't clothe yourself or your family. How about danger? How about the sword or guns? Paul answers, no. But instead, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Now watch what he says. For I, Paul, am sure that neither death nor life nor things present nor the future nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from God's love to us in Christ Jesus. For I am persuaded that every one of you who is a Christian, your dying will not separate you from God's love through Christ Jesus. Stephen and we are more than conquerors because Jesus defeated death and thus death cannot destroy us. It cannot bring us into a place of misery, torment, sadness, For those who die, on this side, we have all of that. See, this is what Paul is driving at in these stunning words from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Again, I read slowly so we don't miss what he's saying here. Starting with verse 21, Paul writes, 
So let no one boast in men. Okay, the context. I'm, you know what? Paul's the best teacher there is. No, Peter is. No, Apollos is. Or no, this internet guy is my favorite guy now. Or this person over here. They're just fin- He says, stop it! The believers are used by God. They're his faithful servants. He says, Christian, wake up! Don't you know that everything belongs to you? Whether it is Paul or, or Peter or Apollos or the world or life. Here's what I want us to focus. Or death. Or the present. Or the future. All things are yours. And you belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. Christian, he says, death is yours. In the same way, you belong to Christ. You belong to Jesus to serve Him, to glorify Him, to reflect Him, to walk with Him, to obey Him. So death is your servant. That's why Paul could write, for me to go on living down here means living for Christ Jesus my Lord. And if I die, I gain more. Of Christ. How? By being with Him like Stephen. In a way, I could not be with Him down here. That's what he says. Now, I speak autobiographically. And most of the time I think It's a good generalization. And that is this. I think that one of the greatest fears of all of us Christians is how will I be on my deathbed? I be faithful. Stephen walked with God. He was a spirit-filled man who passionately believed in the resurrected Lord Jesus. And the text says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so was David when he wrote Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. 
God will give the grace that we need at the moment we need it. If any one of us in here were tied to a stake so that the fires would start to lap up on our feet and through us of our body like it did with John Huss, would we have what it would take to suffer well for Christ? No. We wouldn't. And neither did John Huss. And neither did Stephen. And nor did millions of fellow believers who have already suffered through ordinary deaths of sickness and old age in hospice beds. But we believers will not then be left to ourselves. Our Savior has special grace to give in the huge trial of dying. As with Stephen, thousands of martyrs, and millions upon millions of ordinary Christians and ordinary deaths, in the hour of death, Jesus makes the enemy of death our servant. Our servant to usher us in to the presence and vision of the glory of God in the way that was unattainable down here. To see our Savior at last, which is far greater. With Stephen, it happened this way. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, context. The council just turned into an angry, violent mob. Stephen senses the threat to his actual life. And then Jesus gives him a vision. A vision that strips death of its power of fear. There's a lot to fear about death. If we're honest, death is this Boogie monster that threatens to take away all that that we love so much. Like the children we would leave behind or grandchildren that would be on our laps if we didn't die or our wife or our husband whom we would leave behind. It does do that. but it also opens up the windows of heaven and the glory of God in a way that is unattainable in this life. But 
Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Come, Stephen, come. And so, dear Christian, Jesus will receive and welcome home every one of His sheep. We won't have the same vision that Stephen had, but we'll have the comfort of the Holy Spirit granting grace for such a time as our dying. For all of us in here right now, who are not on the doorstep of death, at least as far as we know. It's hard to imagine. Because we love our families. We love our friends. We want to be there for them. And that even causes within us genuine believers in Jesus. It causes us to wonder if we love Jesus less than we love them. But dear believer, you do love Jesus. You are genuine. And His grace, it will be sufficient in your hour of dying. The sting of death has been destroyed by the Savior of our souls. So as Stephen's head and his body become numb from rock after rock flying at him, the Holy Spirit enabled him to see. To see through death a wonderful doorway of fellowship with Jesus. Listen to verse 59. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. For those who love Jesus, His work on the cross to justify them before the one and only holy God of the universe. For all of us who have been justified by Christ, the horror, the sting of death is gone. Jesus will welcome every one of them home in their dying moments. And that Stephen, during what we read here, that he was 
actually filled with the Spirit, that he was engulfed in God's grace to him, is made evident by verse 60. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And of course, we know when our Lord Jesus was dying of torture, as he hung on the cross, he said those words where it could be heard, Father, forgive them. Because they do not know what they're doing. As he went through the doorway of death, as we shall follow. See, as Jesus hung there, he knew this is why I came. He knew my dying and my suffering here is the only way to conquer the curse of death for all of my sheep. And therefore, even, even his brutal murder and dying could not destroy his love for the Father and his love for sinners. And so now we jump to Stephen, and here he is. Because the very Spirit of God's Son, who said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That Spirit dwells within Him and He is filled with it. And so death cannot make Him bitter. Death cannot make Him curse His persecutors and murderers. Because Stephen here was granted the grace to leave that stuff, justice and mercy, into the hands of His Savior. Because He was cloaked with the Spirit and of grace, it means He saw clearly the mercy of Jesus, of God the Father, upon Him as a horrific sinner deserving eternal wrath. And thus it was His joy to ask for mercy on behalf of those who are throwing fastballs at His head. Lord, do not hold this sin of murder against me because I preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not hold that against them. And the Lord heard that prayer. Stephen didn't know it, but Jesus standing at the right hand of God knew. He already went to the cross to take away the sins of the man. In verse 58 and chapter 8, verse 1. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned Stephen. 
And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And Saul approved of his murder. Lord, do not hold this sin of Saul and who knows how many others that were there against him. And Jesus didn't. Because long before Saul knew it, Jesus went to the cross precisely for this stoning. And ten billions of other sins of His people. Our Lord is good to us. His grace will be sufficient for us when we need it. And at all times that we need it, in dying and in continuing to live down here. Stephen died in the power of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And Stephen lived and preached truth in the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And so, may we Christians pursue Living in the, in the same way that we hope to die. By the power and the fullness of God's Spirit causing us to stand for truth. The truth of the Gospel. By the Holy Spirit in our living, opening our eyes to see and to love the glory of God that Stephen saw in that vision that day before his death. That we would live to know that in our trials, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the throne of God as complete and absolute sovereign over all things and everything about our lives. In Stephen's dying, he longed to be with Jesus. Lord Jesus, Receive me. Welcome me. Take me. So in our living, may we yearn for daily fellowship with Jesus. And we will find to one measure or another through our walking by the Spirit in this daily life, just as Stephen found that the Precious Savior by the Holy Spirit and the word of His grace will be burning out sinful unforgiveness from our hearts. Burning out bitterness and resentment and fear and self-pity by His very presence and the future hope of glory.
where for every one of us, our deaths will become our servant to usher us in to the presence of our Lord and Savior, our resurrected King, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we long to be those who live at the doorstep of death, even if it's 40 years away. To live in light of the consciousness of the reality of eternity. To speak to one another as dying men, dying women, to dying men, dying women, dying children. as happy, as thrilled sinners being saved forever as inheritors of the promise of life eternal, of an experience of Your glory unhindered with our sin. To actually experience and know that which is unimaginable now. For we believe, we trust your holy promises, Lord Jesus. Heavenly Father, you are more trustworthy, infinitely more than the best of us earthly fathers. Into you we commit our lives to the glory of Jesus. Amen.